Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. feel like we're walking through life as natural Christians, natural believers. Some of you aren't yet believers. You haven't had an experience where you've recognized Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You understand that He is God in the flesh. He came among men, dwelt among us, that He lived for 33 years, and then He died on the cross to take your place. He took your penalty your sin in his body on the tree, that we might be declared righteous. That's why Jesus came. Some of you haven't accepted that yet, and I hope today you will. But if you've accepted that, you're a believer in Jesus, we need to start living our lives like he's living it with us. I mean, you got to start seeing Jesus, maybe not having a vision and, uh, and, and, and seeing him uh, with your physical eyes, but I'm not honestly against that, but certainly seeing him with your spiritual eyes, because he's with you. He is with you. The Spirit of Christ never leaves us. He told his disciples, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm never going to abandon you. And some of y'all are here and you have abandonment issues. You have abandonment problems. Uh, You grew up and and felt very alone, very distant maybe from family, maybe from friends. Maybe you've lived a life where you've been betrayed by people. Can I tell you there's one person that will never betray you? He will never leave you alone. And as a matter of fact, in your betrayal, he was present with you because he doesn't abandon you. He doesn't forsake you. So we need to begin to open our spiritual eyes. And that's that's the the desire for that song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. By the way, you can't live this Christian life without Christ. Christians, you can't live this Christian life without Christ. He's got to be with you, in you, walking with you, and we need to see him in everything. And so expect Jesus in the ordinary was where we started off last week. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. And for you all that are kind of prudes, what he means by before they came together is exactly what you think. Before they had sexual relations, she was found to be with a child. She was a virgin, and yet she became pregnant. Now listen, there's a lot of teenage girls that get pregnant out of wedlock, and I'm sure they try this with their parents and say, dude, I didn't do anything. 
There's only one. There's only one that didn't do anything, and her name was Mary. You're not it. She was a virgin when she conceived Jesus Christ in her virginal womb. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and wanting to make, not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. So back in the first century Israel, marriage consisted of a couple of parts. The first part was betrothal, the second part was the marriage, and the betrothal was a binding legal contract. It was a period of time when the families would discuss the, the price of the girl. Right? So it was a legal contract. And when she became impregnated, that would have been a breaking of that legal contract. He was within his right to demand that she be put away. Now, he was a good dude. And he was going to do it secretly, privately, so she could be spared some shame. Well, he's pondering all of this. And while he's thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let me ask you a question. You believe in angels. Because if you don't believe in angels, you have a problem with what the Bible says. Angels are still working in the world today. They're still here. I believe there are angels in this room right now. In some cases, we can't see them. In other cases, you're looking at them. No, wait. That's not, no, no, no. That's not right. That's not right. Sorry. Um, well, maybe. Anyways, uh, he, he's, he has this dream, and in the dream, this angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is indeed, I'm adding the word indeed, of the Holy Ghost. Uh, she's still a virgin, Joe. You can still marry her. It's okay. She is a chosen vessel to carry the Messiah, and, he, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I've had people ask me this question over the last 10 years when I stepped in and took the lead role of this church as lead pastor and saying, are we going to change the name? We should change the name. And, and I said, listen, I don't have a problem dropping Baptist. I don't have a problem with this, but I, I'll tell you one thing. The name Emmanuel. Man, when Pastor Z came to Manchester, he said, God, if you want, to start me, you want me to start a church, you're going to have to do it with me. Because I'm not doing this alone and I'm not doing this by my power. And God said, hey, hey, Walt, my name is Emmanuel. I am with you. And that's what the name of our church is all about. God with us. He's present. He is powerful. He cares about the little things, the big things. He is with us, right? That's why we're called Emmanuel. Going on. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep. I mean, how many of y'all would meet an angel in your dreams and stay sleeping? Right? He's like, whoa! And did as the angel commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her. Now you prudes, you all understand, he did not know, he did not know her. All right, it's like a wink and a nod, right? He didn't know, he did not have sexual relations with her 
until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Now, I know you adults, you're cringing, and, and some of you kids are cringing. Uh, for you adults, you're supposed to be adults. Grow up a little bit. For you kids, hey, dude, it's a fact of life. And if you're in this sanctuary, your parents have, should have probably already talked to you about this by now. Um, the importance of this is that it's a fulfillment of one prophecy. That that which was born of Mary was not a creation of man. It was a creation of God. It was God himself wrapping himself in flesh in the womb of Mary. Okay? Secondly, the father of Jesus is God. And so though Jesus had the bloodline of Mary, he had the spiritual line of God, and he was sinlessly perfect. Okay? You follow what I'm saying? He was a sinless man. He was a perfect man. So going on. This is the word. This is the word in that passage that has always blown my mind. From there, what, what does it say? Oh, gosh, we got to talk about sin. It's Christmas time. Well, the whole reason for Christmas is sin. That's the, whole, that's the whole point. If there wasn't sin, there wouldn't need to be Christmas. There's sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin because it's a scary topic, isn't it? Some of y'all make sins up. You've seen the movie Footloose? There's a lot of made-up sin in churches today. Give me an example, Pastor. I'm so glad you asked. It's a sin to dance. You ever heard that one? Yeah, that's against the Bible because David danced before the Lord. Now, there's places in the Psalms where it talks about dancing. Now, it would be a sin to sensually dance unless it's with your wife. And then it's sanctified. Um, I digress. We tend to look at sin, and we see this topic of sin, and, and, and there's things that, like, it's a sin to go to the movies. It's a sin to do this, and it's a sin to do that. And so we add things to the Bible, and that makes us feel even worse. But then there are clearly things in the Bible where it talks about it's a sin to commit adultery. It's a sin to have sex before you're married. Is he going to keep talking about sex? Maybe. It's a sin. Listen, it's a sin to be addicted to anything but Jesus and the saints. Have anything in your life that's controlling you. That could be your anger. It could be a drug. It could be alcohol. It could be relationship dependency. Some people, they can't function outside of a relationship. And the relationship becomes an addiction. Preach it, Pastor. It means we've done something wrong, something terrible. It brings up visions of judgment and condemnation. It makes us uncomfortable. And, and for some of you here sitting in this sanctuary this morning, sin means shame. It means shame. It means maybe you've sinned and you have carried this sin with you. And you have not been able yet to forgive yourself of this sin. And maybe you've fallen at the foot of the cross and you've cried out to Jesus to forgive you. But you're still carrying the weight of that shame. And let me tell you, it's killing you. 
It's not only killing you, it's killing your testimony. It's killing your ability to walk in joy and in newness of life. Some of you have been sinned against, and yet you feel shame because of what was done to you. This is what sin does. It brings shame. And we walk with this horrible weight on our shoulders, and we see this word sin, and it it disturbs us, and in, in, in some cases it should. And so we're in the season of preparation, in the season of expectation. And we talk about expecting Jesus in the ordinary, but listen, we also want to expect Him in our shame. Expect Him in your shame. Some of y'all are like, dude, I don't want Jesus to see my shame. And, and this really, it's not what you think it is. He came to save his people from their sin. If we focus on sin and we don't focus on save, we lose the whole point. While sin brings shame, Jesus brings salvation. He brings a forgiveness. We need to expect Jesus in our shame. We need to understand that it's not often what we would expect. Many people paint a picture of God that is a false picture. It's a Picasso of God. It's an abstraction of the reality of Jesus Christ. That's what we often see portrayed in movies and in television. We see this caricature of Jesus. We either see a Jesus that doesn't care about sin or a Jesus that cares too much about sin, so much that instead of just dying on the cross for you, he wants to beat you to a bloody pulp and he doesn't want to let you go. He doesn't want to let it go. He wants to continually revisit your shame and that is not Jesus. And so we need to expect Jesus in our shame in a way that that might even change our lives. I want to take us to a passage of Scripture where we see instead of holding the hammer to pound you, Jesus holds the hammer to nail himself. So let's look at what the Scripture says. Jesus came again into the temple. That's why it's capital H, by the way. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And in the Bible, I think I've explained this in the past, in first century synagogues, when the, when the teacher was ready to teach, he would sit. In Western Christianity, when the teacher or the preacher is ready to preach, we do what? We stand. It's just a cultural thing. But when he sat down, you were ready to listen. And that's what happened. He sits down, he's teaching, and these rude, ignorant... Now listen, ignorant is not... Well, let me rephrase. These rude, stupid people, they weren't ignorant. They were intentionally ignorant, which is the definition of stupidity. Came and that's not in the Bible. I'm just I'm just expounding. These scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. He is going to keep talking about sex. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery." Now, listen, that's not enough. She was caught in the very act. We got photographic evidence. Well, that's first century, so we have evidence chiseled on stone. We caught her in the act. They throw her in front of Jesus, and then they begin the challenge. 
Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? Expect Jesus. Expect Jesus in your shame. Man, if there is anyone in all the Bible that had to contend with shame, it was this woman. Not only had she committed adultery, I don't know exactly where the guy is, but she committed adultery. She was caught in the act. She was dragged out in front of the community, thrown in front of a man of renown. Jesus was becoming a popular teacher and used as a pawn to destroy this teacher. How many of you guys have done anything that you're ashamed of? Raise your hand. I've done something that I am ashamed of. Yeah. Come on, keep them up there. Everybody look around. I have. Yeah, it's not something to high five over, guys. Shame's not fun. It's not exciting. That's why it's shame. How would you like to have what you did plastered all over the news? Some churches do this. A young girl will get pregnant. They tend to ignore the guy. A young girl will get pregnant and these, these... Lord, help me to be... What's the word? Non-condemning. Yes, Lord, help me. These churches, they will, they will drag these young women in front of the congregation. And they will say, behold her sin. She is here to repent of her sin. To restore her to fellowship in the church. Now, I can't think of something more... pharisaical than that. I mean, I had people wanting me to do that to a woman in our church. And I said, well, how about you? Have you never sinned? Well, she's done this twice. I said, okay. I think I've shared this with you. This man was rather rotund. And I'm certain that he ate a meal or three, at once, more than twice. In other words, he'd committed the sin of gluttony more than once and probably had never confessed his sin of gluttony because he didn't look at it as sinful. And yet, he looked at her sexual sin, literally counted the months. She was married had a child a couple months later, and he said, well, wait a second. It's been five months since she was married. It takes nine months to carry a child. That means that she was pregnant for four months before she was married. You can do math. <laughs> Expect Jesus in your shame. Here's a woman dragged in front of, dragged in front of Jesus. Her shame is put out on display. I can't even imagine the heartache and the fear 
that she was going through. Because you know, those Pharisees were right. They could have stoned her. In fact, stoning still happens around the world today for this very offense. I wanted to drive this point home, and so I was going to get a photograph and put it up there for you to see the consequence of her sin. And I talked it over with my wife, and she, being the wiser of the two, said, probably not a good idea on a Sunday morning with little kids in there, because it is brutal. It is absolute brutality. What happened? They said this testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him, but I highlighted these words. Because I've read this passage so many times, and I was just preparing this message. This blew me away. Jesus stooped down. Hold on to that. Bookmark it. You got a Bible app or you got a Bible man, underline it, highlight it, circle it, because this is amazing. He stooped down. He did something when he stooped down. We don't really know what he was writing, but he wrote on the ground with his finger. I love this too. Woo! Come on, guys. Come on. Get with me on this. Some of y'all, you're, you're stuck in your sin and you're stuck in your shame and you're almost like happy to be there. You're happy to be miserable. But I want you to notice something. What happened here? These Pharisees, these holier-than-thou, footloose preachers came and said, look at her sin. What should we do? She should be condemned. She should be stoned. This is what the law says. And Jesus stooped down and started writing in the sand as though he didn't hear them. Woo! Come on, man. Some of y'all got to go to church today. Some of y'all got to be like Jesus when people come to you and say, oh, did you hear what Trisha did? Stoop down and write in the dirt as though you don't hear them. Man, we produce shame in our church because we got big, giant, dumbo ears. We want to hear every little juicy detail. Whew, come on, man. Jesus acted like he did not hear them. Thou preach. I know. It's awesome. He stooped down, though. He stooped down, acted like he didn't hear him. So when they continued, oh, you're going to face people like this. Oh, listen, somebody said this about you. I'm just saying it because I'm on your side. <laughs> I'm just telling you all the horrible people's things are saying about you because I feel like you should know. What can I do about it? Nothing, but I thought you should know. Thanks, now I'm upset and I have nothing, no recourse. I can't do anything about it. It's almost like the Bible says, don't be a tail bearer, don't be a backbiter, don't carry rumors. This kind of activity has destroyed friendships in this very church. Satan came in in the form of a long, blonde-haired, long, long-haired, blonde-haired woman who went to one woman and said, oh, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? And then she went to the other woman of whom she said, said something about the first woman and said, oh, did you hear what this woman said about you? Had the two women at odds, and both women said to me, she would never lie. 
I know this woman. She's a good friend of mine. She would not lie. My wife, who has a spiritual gift of discernment, said, Eric, do not trust this woman. Now, she never says this, and, and don't be offended, but God gave her a gift. And her gift is not just to me. It's to this whole church. And some of y'all have that same gift, and you know what I'm saying. When you walk into a room, you can feel evil. You know it, and if you know it, by the way, you should be using it in this church. Don't get paranoid. She didn't, she didn't badmouth this person. She just said, hey, Eric, there's something up here. Be careful. And wouldn't you know, sure enough, used by Satan. Now, whether she was Satan in disguise, I can't say, but she was used by him to begin to sow seeds of destruction. And to the glory of God, when I called her out on stuff, she disappeared. She left. She couldn't handle the truth. So, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, who is he who is without sin among you? Let him Throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, praise God, their consciences were not yet seared, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Boy, we could preach two messages out of this, Lord. I'm going to try to hold it to one, but man, some of y'all are walking around with pockets filled with stones, and you have seared your conscience, and you walk around judging person after person after person, and condemning person after person after person, and Romans says, who are you to condemn another person who do the same thing? Watch out what you're, watch out what you're condemning. Watch out what you're judging. When Jesus raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. I went here last week with you. I think God wants, wants you to understand this. I think some of you don't. I think some of you are still stuck in your shame. You're still stuck in legalism. You're still stuck in condemnation. And you think it is godly to walk around like a martyr for your own sin. But let me tell you something. You don't die for your sin. Jesus died for it. You die to it. When he had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. I can just imagine her sweat streaked, half naked or all naked, just trembling and, and full of shame and full of fear because here stands one who has her life in his hand. And unlike Jonathan Edwards, and I saw, uh, listen, I know some of y'all worship Jonathan Edwards. You need to read your history books again. Man, she was not a sinner in the hand of an angry God. She was a sinner in the hand of a loving Savior. The goodness of God leads thee to repentance. And she's standing there trembling before him, and she knows that he holds her life in his hands. What will he do? Many of you that are believers, you know the end of the story. You've been in church, you've read this passage, you know the end of the story. And some of you don't. And listen, she certainly did not know the end of the story. I'm sure her mind is just racing and racing. Why is he saying this? What is he doing? I don't understand this. What's happening? 
What's happening? Woman, we talked about this last week. It was not a slanderous way to address a female. It was respectful woman. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? I mean, it goes from they continued asking him, continued asking him, continued asking him to has no one condemned you? She said, come on, man. Let's have a Holy Ghost breakdown together. She said, no one, Lord. Oh, she recognized now, man, she's talking to somebody special. She's talking to someone whose authority came from God, not from the Sanhedrin, not from the religious ruling class. He was not an official master's degree doctorate of the Jewish ruling society. He had an authority that transcended their authority. And his authority was so powerful, they could not stand in the presence of it. And they had to flee as he pricked their conscience. And she says, no one, Lord. And I feel like she's still trembling. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Whew. Now, when you understand what sin is, because a lot of Baptist preachers, they like to highlight the go and sin no more, and they like the low light, neither do I condemn you. They're like, no, there's got to be condemnation somewhere. I mean, we can't live good lives if there's not some kind of hammer and nail up there the hammer and nails up there he says go and sin no more why because i don't want you to offend me you stinking little woman no it's sin hurts you it hurts me sin hurts those we love sin hurts the heart of god it's destructive. That's why it's shameful. It destroys what is good and necessary and beautiful in life. That is what sin does. And so he says, go and sin no more. Not just because he's a holy and just God, he is. But he says, go and sin no more because he loves this woman. And when he tells us to go and sin no more, it is out of a heart that loves us. Folks, He loves you. His command to you is for your benefit and the benefit of those that you are around. Now, I love this. This is why I told you to highlight this. Jesus stooped down. Now, this is where, as I was studying this, because this is, this is listen, expect Jesus. Expect Jesus in your shame, in your worst event, in your past, the worst thing you've done or had done to you, expect Jesus in your shame. But you got to expect, listen, man, you got to expect not the Picasso Jesus, man. You've got to expect the reality of Jesus. The one that looks at you and says, neither do I condemn you. you got to expect the Jesus. Listen now, this whole idea of stooping down, it has this, 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 uh, this imagery 
that he is coming down to your level. He is coming down into your shame, and he is stooping down to be with you. That's an amazing, amazing illustration wrapped within the story of this passage of Scripture that Jesus stoops down. He gets into your dirt. He gets into your mess. And He is not afraid of it. And He is not ashamed of you. And He loves you. And He doesn't condemn you. And He is with you. He stoops down. Some of you, you claim to love kids. But when a child will run up to you and say, hey, 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 you look down. You look down at them. You can really tell, I think, when people love kids and a little kid will run up to them and they'll do this. Hey, what's up, buddy? They stoop down. They stoop down. Uh, Listen, it can be attitudinal because sometimes a teenager will come up to you and they're like this. I mean, you're not going to stoop down, but you stoop down in your attitude. You, You speak to them like they're human beings. Right? Jesus stooped down. Some of you guys still stuck in your shame. You're still condemning yourself. Man, you've got to understand something. Jesus, <laughs> he stooped down for you. And you're like, where, where does that say that in the scripture? There is therefore, what shall save me? Who shall save me from this misery? Who shall save me from this death? This is the verse preceding this one. What hope is there? I'm lost. I'm undone. Where, Where do I find life? And he says, nevertheless, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he goes on. This is chapter 8 of Romans. Verse number 1. There is, therefore, now. No. What does it say? No condemnation to who? Those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Man, when you have been saved, when you've cried out to Jesus to be your Savior, you go from having a dead spirit to a living spirit. And that is what you walk according to now. You are alive. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You have eternal life that can never be snatched away. There is no condemnation for you. Be free. Let go. Understand that Jesus was in those worst moments. You say, oh, but pastor, it's not just sin that, that was against me. It's sin that I did and things that I don't want anybody to know about. And I wish that I had never done. Let me tell you something, man. Jesus is in your shame. He was there with you. He was calling you. He was loving you. He was ready to forgive you the moment you turned to him. Turn to him and trust him, man. He loves you. He's not standing there condemning you. Stop condemning yourself. Accept the wonderful grace of Jesus. You say, that's one story. What about another one? Here's another one. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. Matthew's other name is Levi. He was at the tax office. Did you get that? He was at the tax office. How many of y'all like IRS agents? Do you like them? What did they do to you? They're just doing their job. But back then, dude, these people, these tax collectors, they were evil. They would skim off the top. They would be dishonest. They were pariahs among their own people. When God wanted to say sinner, he said tax collector. 
And yet Jesus is walking by this tax collector, this guy that probably lived, unless he had seared his conscience, in a life of shame because he knew he was betraying his nation by collecting taxes. He was just a filthy tax collector. And Jesus walks by him and says, hey, follow me. Well, wait a second. This is a man full of shame, full of regret. This is a man that was the lowest of the low. How did Jesus treat him? What did Jesus do with this man? How did he talk to him? He looked at him. He didn't just see a tax collector. He said, follow me. He saw someone worth saving. It's amazing. It happened that, as you said, how can you prove he was a sinner? Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, who? The Pharisees, who? The Baptist preachers, no, not just the Baptist preachers, the holier than thou, self-righteous, everybody's scum preachers said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because you weren't available. Uh, No, when Jesus heard that, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Because here's the reality. You Pharisees, you think you're well, and that's the biggest problem of all. Some of y'all are sitting here and you're like, dude, I'm all right. I'm okay. I don't need this. You need this more than anybody else in here. And my prayer to God is the Holy Spirit will break through the hardness of your heart so you can receive the glorious gift of grace. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Who does Jesus want to be around? Just regular people, man. Expect Jesus in your Shame, man, it means something so different when you begin to understand that Jesus stoops down. It begins to take a whole new coloration when you begin to understand that when you have fallen, when you have failed, and in your past you have things that you are so ashamed of and so broken with that Jesus is stooping down and he is with you. And he says, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He called a horrible sinner to be an apostle. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he was of such notoriety that he wrote a book in the Bible called Matthew. We're reading from it this morning. And one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering him rebuked him, saying, Don't you even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation. And we, indeed, were condemned justly and as the due reward for our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing. He's done nothing wrong. This is the thief on the cross with Jesus. what does Jesus say to him? He says, Lord, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour. Jesus is hanging on the cross, being crucified for our sins, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun darkened. The sun darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Think about that. The veil was torn in two. Uh, For those of you that have walked with me for a while, (coughs) you understand that this is the 
This is the propitiation of Jesus Christ. This is that He satisfied Himself by Himself, took our sins on Himself to give us access, the temple veil tearing in two, to the Holy of Holies so that we can now approach the throne of God to find grace to help in time of need. Jesus' death tore apart the separation between us and God in heaven. Man, why do we walk around in condemnation? Because we have bought the lie of the devil. And we have bought the lie of others. And we have lived in shame. And I say this, it's far too long that you have lived in shame. Confess your sin and believe Jesus is with you and loving you. And see him, if you could, Lord, open the eyes of their heart. See Jesus with his hand outstretched saying, come away with me. I forgive you. I love you. I have something that is so much better. Come with me. Man, he stooped down. He got into our shame. He got into our mess. He wasn't afraid of us. He said, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my, my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And that was the ultimate stooping down for us. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing to me. In Philippians, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery, to be equal with God, but stooped down, made himself of no reputation. You catch that? That's Jesus stooping down. He got into our mess. He took our sins in his body on the tree. First Peter chapter 2 tells us this, that he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be made the righteousness of Christ, of God in him. He stooped down for us. These two guys, you say, well, that thief on the cross, what a great holy dude. I mean, he, was, he treated Jesus so nicely, so kindly. Well, if you read the full account in the other Gospels, the uh, listen, you read the full account in the other Gospels, you will see that both of these men that were crucified were, with Jesus were just cursing him and casting in his teeth horrible things. And I believe as they hung there, this one thief that said, remember me, Lord. This one thief that finally, it seems like he came to his senses and said, what are we doing? Hey, why are you doing this? This guy doesn't deserve this. But in the beginning, he wasn't like that. In the beginning, he was, he was cussing Jesus out just like the other guy. But as they hung there, he saw something about Jesus that changed his mind. And see, man, he could see the holiness of Christ as he hung there, the goodness of God as he hung there. And man, it transformed him. It transformed him. That was an amazing thing. Jesus stooped down. Expect Expect Jesus in your shame. I, I don't know what you're ashamed of this morning. I ask you to raise your hand if you've ever done anything that has made you ashamed, anything that you would not want anyone to know about. And just about everyone who uh, was honest raised their hand. And those of you that didn't, well, you should be ashamed of yourselves for lying in the house of the living God. <laughs> Liars. You need to welcome Jesus into your shame. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. 
www.lessgodgetoutthere.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.